This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Pangarang people. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and that modern Australia has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European arrival. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 152 for Friday 20th of May 2022. I'm Jeremy Siapioko, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host, or yeah, in the last couple of weeks, the same guest host, to help me discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, as in tomorrow, the election, and hopefully what we can do about it. My returning guest host tonight is my beloved wife, Denise Pico. I like to think of myself as a featured uh, guest host, a featured host for the election period. Well, I do say, f- at the end of the episode title, I say Feet Deansy. It's, um, or except for, the, except for two weeks ago when it said Fear Deansy. <laughs> well... Yeah, no, it's yeah, fair. Yeah, fight me fair. So we're going to try and do this quickly to get it out in time because obviously the election is tomorrow. There are a couple of things that we could mention. We could mention Frydenberg uh, flat out admitting that the money's there for stuff that we care about. Everything's affordable if it's a priority. This is a priority. We don't care about poor people. No, no, no. We don't care about poor people. Yeah, no. they, they actually they specifically hate them. Like, yeah. like whenever they, that's that's the thing though. One of the, the things that I feel like is a shift in my political understanding of of the country was following raising social security to the poverty line and it, it actually being a net benefit economically as well, and then them just having it again out of spite. Which just it's just the revelation that oh no, it's not that they can't do it. It's that they don't want to. They yeah. like it's a feature. It, it's a feature. It's not, not a bug. bug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, we have Frido admitting in a way that he immediately regrets and uh, follows up with a, with a shameless lie. Back. <laughs> well, with, with, like he's going with, oh, I just, I just owned to myself. Quick, quick, a lie. Okay. Well, I wish I got that reception in Kuyong. How's that? <laughs> oh, I really do. I really do. <laughs> Uh, and then you've been showing me the horrifying news oh, that, that Clive Palmer has been spending so much money on advertising. million dollars or something in top. Yeah, in fact, in the past week alone, he has spent two point three eight million on YouTube, but, which is appropriate because every time we turn on YouTube, we seem to see a uh, United uh, Party ad. But they've had this hour-long ad running, which makes it seem like it's a show, and then the commercial breaks are all like commercials for the UAP and various so things that seven, it has. So on 7, 9, and 10 have all played an hour long. I, I, I worry what damage that's doing. Like, you, you disaffected well, voters flicks. are like, oh, that, that Palmer one, oh, there's some interesting points in there. I'm, I'm tempted by that. Like, yeah. it's really, it's appealing to people who have low information and are not engaged, do not care, and they're like, oh, they're okay. Well, it's and quite scary. Part of the article I was reading was saying that uh, the analysis is showing that there are a lot of people who actually support someone like Clive Palmer, but are afraid to admit it because of the backlash. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. That's your racist aunt who complains that every time she says something, she gets caught up by, you know, the, the political police. So she doesn't say things anymore. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, the, the, the Palmer party entirely appeals to the people who want to say horrible shit, 
feel that there's consequences when they do it, would rather that not be the case. Exactly. So, Let me say horrible shit consequence-free. But what I wanted to do the podcast with quickly before the election was um, a discussion about certain things to do with, with voting. The first one is, it actually connected directly to a live news story, which is that uh, Monique Ryan, from, who's the independent running against Josh Frydenberg, uh, is taking the matter to court today. This is recorded before that, may not be uploaded until after that. So yeah. you, future listener, may know the answer to this, what happened. But um, obviously the issue is that if you got COVID in the last few days yeah. and you are going to be in isolation on the election day, there is a window after which the ability to apply for a postal vote closed. Yep. The ability to get a telephone vote because you're, you have COVID didn't open until, I think, 6 o'clock on Tuesday. Yep. And if you're in that window there between postal votes closing and the telephone voting permission coming in, then the AEC basically says, uh, people who did not apply for a postal vote before the Wednesday 6pm application deadline haven't voted yet, tested positive before 6pm Tuesday, and are in isolation through to after election day may not be able to vote. That, that is just not good enough. We have compulsory voting. The idea is supposed to be making sure that people can vote, not putting in barriers to stop them. And I know the AEC is just enforcing the legislation that the Morrison government passed, hence the case that Monique um, Ryan's bringing, but it's just not good enough. And it, it, this is a thing. This flip from it being a, a thing that, that the government makes, it puts everything in place to make sure people can do yeah. to something where they're putting barriers... That is disturbing. The thing is, there is a 24-hour period, pretty much, between the testing positive phone vote starting and the postal vote thing cutting off, except the first 24 hours when you have COVID, most people feel like utter crap. They are sick. They're stressed about, do I, where do I get groceries? Do I have enough stuff in the house? Who can I call to help us out? Can the kids go to school tomorrow? Are they in quarantine? Yeah. There's a million things that you're thinking of that literally are not, oh, and how am I going to vote in three days? Quick, I better get a postal vote application in. Yeah, when some people have, never, like that? Some people have never even considered a postal vote in their lives. Well, the bottom line is, even if you don't, that shouldn't be a reason you get no. disenfranchised. We have compulsory voting. Everybody's supposed to be able to vote. We're not supposed to be going, ah, you didn't jump through an arbitrary bureaucratic hoop, so you miss out. I feel That's like if it's a seven-day quarantine period, then the ability to do a phone vote should start at the beginning of that seven-day quarantine period. So if you, if you from Sunday register, test positive, or from last Saturday, I guess, last Saturday night at 6 p.m., hmm. test positive for COVID, you should be able to do a telephone vote. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's disgusting. Yeah, and that that shift is really disturbing in attitude. And and, and look, I don't blame the AEC. With, and, and look, they've been doing a good job being uh, upfront and fighting disinformation and people trying to attack the you know integrity of the system. Mm. They, 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 the, the people they've had running that Twitter account this year have been pretty good. But yeah, and, and they obviously they have to enforce the legislation as written by the government. But um, the the fact that they clarify that that's what the that's what the rules are. Yeah, that's a problem. Those rules need fixing. Hopefully, money is successful today and the yeah. court makes an urgent update, which then the AEC can somehow also apply in time, given that the election is uh, checks watch tomorrow. Yes. Update. Apparently, this morning, the Electoral Commissioner has signed a brief to the government recommending that el eligibility for the telephone voting service for people who have tested positive to COVID-19 be expanded. So it is very much an in-motion story. But it shouldn't have been a story at all. So I wanted to quickly talk about uh, how you and I, how we, 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 what our thoughts were. And 
so we, we, we live in an electorate in the lower house where we've got a very strong local independent who seems to be reasonably progressive. We've, uh, that photograph of the, where people who voted against halving Social Security, she's one of the... Five. Few, five. Uh, and then also voting alternatively for the Greens. And so your, your sort of thinking is in favour of voting one for the local independent, I think. Yeah, uh, it is. I really think that she's a strong person. I think she's a strong candidate. I think she represents us really well here in Indi, and I would like to see that continue. And I can see this. So obviously, um, everybody listening to this understands that the way preferences work, in the House of Reps, your vote continues at full value. So you can go one one candidate to another, and, then, and it, if your first preference doesn't get elected, then your vote goes to the second and so forth. And the person, the difference between voting one for somebody and two for somebody, uh, one of them is that the party you vote one for gets the funding. So giving that one to the local independent to keep them strong is not a bad idea. So my thinking, I've actually, I was on that train, I was thinking of that originally, and part of my thinking was that I, I worry more about uh, what if what if my vote, what if everybody voted the way I did, and I voted oh, one Greens, two Helen, and then Helen got eliminated, and her votes aren't all progressive votes. She gets votes from across the spectrum, mm. and they could go all across to anywhere, not necessarily to the Green candidate, and then uh, one of the horrific right-wing candidates in Arctic could get elected. But on the other hand, it's vanishingly unlikely that Helen uh, Helen's vote will fall below the Greens anyway. So my thinking in hind, after I'd post, I had, what I came to conclusion in the end was, uh, I put the Greens one and Helen two for two reasons. One is I do want the overall message to be that the Greens have a higher percentage of primary votes so to boost the legitimacy of the actual Green MPs that yeah. do, are in Canberra, who really represent a lot more people than just their local electorate because there's an awful lot of us who vote green and do not end up having a representative. Absolutely. Um, and so I'd like that number to be higher so the Greens can say, well, yeah, sure, we re- I represent one electorate out of 150, but I also represent 10%, 12% more of the population. Yes. Um, and the second thing um, was the Greens getting that funding, which is helpful, although I wouldn't mind Helen getting that funding. But the main reason why I decided to go one green to Helen is that I want, when you've got an independent who's getting votes from across the spectrum, I was thinking if you vote one for the progressive, for, for the de- defiantly progressive candidate, being the Greens, as opposed to the independents are trying to be all things to all people a bit, mm-hmm. then it tells them that they have this many progressive vo- supporters, whereas if you just vote one for them, your the fact that your vote is a progressive one and supporting her is it looks exactly the same as a, as a conservative person just preferencing her just because the last LNP candidate in Indi was the horrific Sophie Mirabella. Yes. Um, so I, I felt that it was worth And that the LNP screwed Indi immediately after when she didn't win and said, ha ha, that hospital, you're not getting it now. Yeah. And there's but, still a lot of resentment about that. As there should be. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But yeah, so that my, that was my thing. My thing is I wanted to actually send a message to Helen as hopefully our new local MP while still preferencing her above the people who would threaten her that you that you know this is the this there are progressive votes in this electorate to represent just in case mm. she ever th- is listening to the local media and comes to the conclusion oh I better be a bit more right wing or I won't get re-elected I wanted to know that there's progressive votes there yeah I think she talks to enough people and she's really quite involved with the LGBTQIA groups um here and she's um quite involved with like having been a nurse and things like that she's quite progressive about healthcare but she is unless I- you're a conservative voter in India in which case. She's still fine for you to vote for. <laughs> um, that's all right, because when we did actually go to put our votes in, um, you did get accosted by the uh, Nationals candidate. Oh, uh, yeah. one, one, of their, Wait, one of their people. Well, she's like, what did you... I was like, oh, no, no, I know about Lucy Shu. She's horrible. I know that the Nationals candidate. I saw the debate that, that they did with, with Helen. Um, and she's like, 
And, and like, I saw what she said. And she's like, nope. no, you didn't see what she said. You heard what she said. I'm like, well done. That certainly changed. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go vote go vote for the Nationals yeah. now. Thank you, Pennant. Now, my, my, my Greens vote was, of course, massively hypocritical because I also went through three Senate papers before I got it right. Anyway, so part, of the, like that, part of the reason for that is the second thing I wanted to mention, which I thought was worth highlighting to people before they vote. So obviously we've got a new system now. You don't write one above the line. In fact, actually, the other thing to point out about the House of Reps is the problem that local candidates are having, that the independents are having when they don't preference any either of the big parties in their how to votes. They just have one in the in the how yeah. to vote and then leave it blank. And they're finding there's a bunch of people who are looking at that and voting one because that's what the how to vote looks like and they're not voting any other preferences, which, of course, means your vote is invalid. Yes, if you, you have do, to number, you have every, to number box every box in the House of Reps. In the lower house. Um, and in the old days, what the Democrats used to do, sometimes they'd run a split how to vote. So they'd give a how to vote where on one side it was Labour and one side it was Liberal, so or, or two different ones, so that people could fill in the numbers without. Because the problem with the the um, with the one that doesn't pre- show e- preferences either way is it also doesn't help voters pick out which are the worst other minor parties. Mm. So when I originally did my my vote, I actually got the Labour one because there wasn't anybody handing out for the Greens, but the Labour one to show so so where they sort of thought the the worst pen, you know, which order yeah. should I rank the bottom ones? Which is useful because it's not that Helen didn't have a how to vote. And I, but they I, had the Lib Dems <clears throat> really quite high. Yeah, they also did the thing because they don't want people to stuff up their votes, um, which you do if you like number something twice. Uh, I think like the Animal Justice Party and and the Greens or the, and, and Justice, Helen and, and the Greens Helen, just went three, they, four, five. They, yeah. they numbered them rather than switching that order, which would be more likely to get people to stuff up. Because I suppose you're thinking it's better to get that voting in with a slightly wonky order than be invalid. So the thing I want to say about the Senate, so in the old days, <clears throat> you did just mark one above the line for the Senate, or you had to number all or almost all of the boxes below the line, which was a real feat and pretty easy for people who, even even people who can count, to screw up. Yes. Like, it's very easy if you're going back and forth on this big paper to accidentally duplicate a number or miss a number or miss a box or whatever. I could have slept under my first Senate ballot. Yeah. So obviously that got fixed because, um, as pushed by the Greens, we can now preference above the line. Um, which means that it doesn't when you you can't just do one above the line and it disappear off into an opaque sequence of yep. preference deals that parties have made, and you have to number six above the line. I've got at how least many, six. At least six. So I've got how many was below? It was twelve. Uh, yeah. Now, so what I wanted to say was because I, I don't not sure that part of the messaging about the House of Reps is trying to reinforce to everybody that your vote is at full value even if even if it goes down to the next preference. So if you vote one Green, two Labor, it's not w- le- worth less than a one Labor vote to Labor. Mm-hmm. They still get the full value of that vote if the Greens are eliminated, but you have a chance of getting the Greens up and the Greens get the funding and it tells Labor to be progressive. So you get that benefit for voting one, la- one Green, two Labor. But the vote when it goes to Labor is a full vote value vote. And I think people get confused between that and the Senate, where something weird and different happens because the Senate has a, is electing more than one person, so they have a quota system. And this is the point where if, if anybody wants to tune out, they can, oh, I can give it, you can skip the explanation or I'll, I'll just summarise the point and then give the explanation. The point in the Senate is that the way that they work, your vote will keep going a lot further than you think. So I, in the end, redid my vote because I just voted six above the line as I say, vote one to six. Yeah. And then I realised, actually, no, I do have preferences... Up until you get to the Nazi parties, I do actually have preferences back and forth after those six before you get to the Liberals and then before you get to the... Ultimately, I didn't try and preference between One Nation and Clive Palmer and... Yeah. I didn't bother at that end, but I, I think I did 18 of them. And the reason is because your Senate vote does actually keep going further than you think it will because you're electing more than one person and after one person is elected, their votes do continue going. 
Why is that? And this is actually what I found fascinating because I didn't fully understand this until recently. So the general idea, um, I'm, th- there is a quota. So if you're electing 10 people and there are a million votes, then the quota will be the number of votes that have been cast, being the million, divided by the number of seats, which, uh, places, which is 10. So you'd need to have 100,000 each would be the quota. I think it's 100,000 plus one. All right. So say what the can- so what tends to happen is, the, because of the way the tickets work, the first couple of candidates get well more than a quota. Yeah. So their votes get distributed to the next preference, but the excess. So if you if you get two hundred thousand and you only need one hundred thousand, then the additional hundred thousand should keep going. It shouldn't be like two hundred thousand people only get one place, which is worth a hundred thousand. But then, how do they decide which hundred thousand keep going? That's right. So what they do is they revalue everything, all of the votes for that candidate, so they equal the excess. So the the maths of that, I think it's like you, you, it's like. Oh, I'm not. My brain. It's truly in the. So each leaders. person would at two hundred thousand for a hundred thousand. Each person would have 0.5 sort of thing. Yeah. It would get revalued. So if there there were a, you know, hundred and fifty thousand votes when you only need a hundred, then each of the new votes is going to be worth. Each vote is going to go to the second preference worth that fraction. Worth that fraction. So that they so that the hundred and fifty votes so it'd be worth a third of a vote. Yeah. So that, that so all one hundred and fifty thousand votes now equal fifty the excess and then they keep going down to the next yeah. preference and that keeps going down and down and down. So ultimately you can be have your vote revalued down again when it elects the next person. So the point of that is, don't let it confuse you about the House of Reps because those votes go at full value. But in the Senate where you've got the quotas and you've got more than one person being elected, just keep in mind that your vote does keep going so it may actually in fractional form make the difference down the end between who gets the last senate seat absolutely those votes and that's, are still bouncing around. yeah and that that's i think where it becomes really important which is why i think you did 18 i think i ended up going up to about 12 or 13 because i similarly had a point where i reached and i went i don't know which of these people to put ahead of the other people yeah i, I kind of get to the liberals um just before the fascists and then there's some Slightly worse than the Liberals, but not quite as bad as Pauline and Clive. And then it's just like, nah, off, off you go. <laughs> I'm not, not bothering for me. At this point, everything's gone to shit and it's an apocalypse. So yeah. I don't care. No. <laughs> but yeah, just just the things to keep in mind. So other than that, um, good luck with voting tomorrow. Here's hoping that the next podcast you hear from us does not start with the world's saddest music. Exactly. A sad trombone and crying. It's just going to be like 20 minutes of sad trombone and crying. Yeah, it's going to be hard sort of... Mixing that in with Robin Gray's cheerful start music, but anyway, it's gonna it's gonna be a dirge. I'm just saying, if Scummo wins, oh, we were inter- listening to another interesting podcast which had some uh, connection to this podcast. We were oh. listening to Do- the Dollop on uh, Golf Whitlam. Oh yeah, no, actually, the, the, a couple of the big podcasts have done. This week's episode of the Bugle has recent guests of this podcast, Tom, the guest host Tom Ballard. There you go. And you're right. Um, the current Dollop was on um, is on on Golf. On golf uh, and, and ASIO, which um, that was supposed to find his pronounced ASIO, and, 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 and like, I think they're going to start calling it SIA. Uh, I think Gareth and Dave are, are often astonished to find out things about Australia. Yeah, I do remember the one where they where, where, where they we, discovered what we called the game telephone. Yes, well, we'll have to explain that to them. Anyway, thank you for coming back, Denise. Uh, thank you everybody for listening to this uh, fairly brief podcast, but I'm hopefully going to get it edited and up quickly. We've also got five year old birthday parties tomorrow Woo-hoo! to organise, so that's. Yeah. <laughs> 15 small children running Look, around our house? What could be wrong? It might be less tightly edited than usual. Anyway, <laughs> see you all soon. Good luck tomorrow. Bye. Right.